0: So, today is Mother's Day, and Marcus, nobody told me Happy Mother's Day, sounds a little jealous, right? But Proverbs 31, now, I gave this sermon first time in 2002, Elizabeth was just born. Gave the sermon again in 2004, and Emma was about three months in the womb, maybe, I don't know. And now here we are four years later, um, studying Proverbs 31 again. If you've heard a sermon, it's going to be new to you because you've changed. Your circumstances, your situation, the context of your life and your experience have changed. That's why the Bible is always fresh to us. It's never the same. It's never static because the applications, the implications, the significances of Scripture always changes because we have changed. That is why, for the rest of our lives, we can study the same chapter of the Bible, and week after week after week, it'll be powerful to us. It'll impact us to the core because we are constantly changing and God applies that truth to us uh, in unique ways. Each time we consider His truth in the Word of God. Now I said this before and I'll say it again. When we do these sermons on women, men tend to kind of zone out. right? Men tend to kind of had that three-mile glare about them because they think, well, the sermon is obviously not for me because I'm not a mom and I'm not a wife, so I can kind of just pretend I'm listening and maybe read through that devotional journal and uh, see what people <laughs> have written about, right? Well, guys, we, we, we mustn't do this. If you're a single man, you should listen to this because these are the qualities that you should be looking out for in your future wife, and I am Speaking of this through Scripture, also through experience. You marry a godly wife, you have have received a gift from the Lord. It is something, it's a blessing to your life. It is a gift from God. She will do good to you all the days of her life. Right? Um, Proverbs 31 later, it says, Beauty is fleeting, charm is deceptive, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is so true. So single man, take heart. Um, King Lemuel's mom's wisdom given to Solomon, right? Given to Lemuel, take these uh, character traits to heart. Uh, If you're a husband, definitely you need to take these truths to heart because you are leading your wife, you are teaching, you are shepherding, and you are either creating the wise woman of Proverbs 31, or you're creating the foolish woman that's strewn out throughout the book of Proverbs. There's only two paths. You're either leading your wife towards wisdom or you're leading your wife towards foolishness. Right? Children are a reflection of the parents but directly a reflection of the mom. That's why moms are so intent on making, their, making sure their kids are clean and neat and well-dressed. You know, man, we don't really care. I don't really care how my kids dress, they're clean or dirty. That's fine with me because they are not really a reflection of me directly but of my wife. Likewise for, all, for many of you. But a wife is a direct reflection of her husband. Right? Your private life is made public by your wife. Who you, the, the real man, the real man after you go home and close those doors is revealed in the world, in the community, in the church by your wife and you can't hide her. All right? So, it's, it's incumbent upon all the married men of our church to consider Proverbs 31 so that you would lead your wife in the way of wisdom, so that you don't experience well placed shame because your wife acts shamefully, so that you would experience honor, respect, right? You're, you would experience um, just a affirmation of your peers, of fellow men, of elders. Because your wife acts nobly. Now obviously, if you're a single woman, this applies to you as well. You can't presume upon God. This is your will for, God's will for you to be to be a helper to men. And if God allows you to be married, help your husbands. And you don't want to start and find out, you get, start dating, get engaged, and you go, oh, what did Pastor James say about Proverbs 31? All right, if you come on your uh, wedding day and you ask me before we had the ceremony, what was that about a godly woman? Right? I'm supposed to do something, right? I'll tell you, too late. You're behind the game. It's going to be a tough six years for you guys before you guys you catch up. Right? You want to be starting now. If you're engaged, you should be listening to Proverbs 31. If you're a wife, if you're a mom, it directly applies to you. Now, if you're a, ch- if you're a child, right, you should be praying. When you meet with your mom today and you give her a bouquet of flowers, you buy, her, you buy her lunch, you buy her dinner, you give her a, a, a gift. You should be praying with her and praying in your heart for Proverbs 31, for wisdom to be in her heart. Right, so that she would grow as a woman that's beautiful in God's eyes. That your mom, whom you love, you cherish, would also be cherished by God Himself. So every single person should listen wholeheartedly to this chapter. We understand that the influence of a mother to her child is undeniable and irreplaceable. Abraham Lincoln said this, All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Here is the most powerful man Arguably, and many historians say, the greatest president that this nation has ever had. And he said, "The, the, the influence of my heart that has carried me throughout my life, my presidency, has been my memories of my mom praying with me and praying for me when I was a child. The hand that rocks the cradle truly rules the world. George Washington said this, all I am I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, even he that died for us upon the cross in the last hour, in the utterable, unutterable agony of death, was mindful of his mother, as if to teach us that this holy love towards our mothers should be our last worldly thought." End quote. So with that, let us turn to Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 31. But we'll study particularly 10 through 31. Let's read this together. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet And does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. In the book of Proverbs, there is a lot said about women. book of Proverbs is filled with different kinds of women. Contrasting the wise women of Proverbs 31, we first discover a woman called, quote, adulteress in Proverbs chapter 5. These these are her characteristics. The following are her characteristics. She flatters with her lips. She forsakes her covenant with her own husband. She has lips that drip honey. She's a poison to all God-fearing men. These are the marks of the adulteress. Another woman characterized is the quarrelsome woman. The quarrelsome woman. She is loud, boisterous, and with whom no one wants to live with her. Uh, Proverbs 21.9, 21.19. I mean, you got to appreciate the... The insight and the truthfulness and the humor of these verses. It is better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert, right? death valley, than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Can I have an amen? Right? <laughs> How about the foolish woman of Proverbs 14? She's foolish because with her own hands, she's to be building up her household, building up her husband, building up her children, building up her family. And instead, with her own hands, she tears it down. She destroys her own family. There is a disgraceful wife, Proverbs 12.4. She is said to be like decay in the husband's bones. All these women, the adulterous, the foolish women, the quarrelsome women, the disgraceful wife, they're all contrasted to the epitome of wisdom that is found in Proverbs 31. There is a sense where the apex of wisdom is found in a woman when she's at home and and she conducts herself in her relationships with her husband and children and the community, and the world. There is a sense where it's saying, there is nothing that is better than an excellent wife, and nothing better than to be married to her, to be her child. A little bit of background, verse 1, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle, a speech, or a burden, his mother taught him. King Lemuel is a Most likely Solomon. This name signifies one that is devoted to God. So these are the wisdom sayings that Solomon's mom gave to him. She speaks in verse 2, What, O my son? What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? There's a sense where she is considering what advice to give him. Choosing out words to reason with him. There's a sense in verse 2, she is full of concern for his welfare, rightfully so. And she's saying, out of all my counsels, all my instructions, of all my knowledge, what shall I share with you so that you will live a life worthy of God? She talks about two destructive vices, avoiding adultery in verse 3. Avoiding drunkenness. Verses 4 through 7. And then, starting in verse 10, she realizes the greatest influence on his life will be the wife that he chooses to marry. And it's so true. Right? I don't care, you know, how tough you think you are, how strong, or how manly you are. right? But, um, and we can't stand toe to toe against our wives, right? In terms of influence. The greatest influence in a man's life practically is his wife, right? Who she is, like her godliness, her behavior, her demeanor, her countenance, her attitude, just her life, day by day, week in and week out would be the singular greatest source of influence in his life therefore she narrows her focus she zones in and he outlines to he, she outlines to him five qualities five characteristics of wisdom of a wise wife godly excellent wife his mother is encouraging him let me whatever you do do this one thing find an excellent wife She describes this ideal woman, this model woman, and and outlines five characteristics. First of all, she is priceless. Secondly, she is a great blessing to her husband. Thirdly, she is diligently devoted to her husband and family. She is a wise teacher. And finally, she receives praise from her own family. From her own family. This chapter was very important in Jewish history. Um, Obviously, it is inspired by God, but also inspired by God in a unique way. That is not visible to English readers. There are 22 verses from verses 10, 10 through 31, and there are 22 Hebrew characters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of these verses begins with the next character in sequence in the Hebrew alphabet. So verse 10 starts with the Aleph, and then verse next sentence, Beth and Gimel and so on, right down to the Hebrew alphabet. God inspired it in this way so that it would be an aid to memorization. And the rabbis used that to teach all Hebrews to memorize Hebrews 31, to Proverbs 31, that they would know it intimately, and it would guide them all their days. The first feature of a wife of noble character is her exceeding value. Verse 10. An excellent wife. Who can find? This kind of woman she's describing is the ideal woman. She is so rare. A godly woman, a noble woman with godly character is so scarce that in verse 10 she is worth far more than rubies. She is, in essence, priceless. The rich red ruby is truly a unique gem because of its rarity. Large rubies surpass diamonds of equal weight and value. Jerusalem Bible translates that she is worth far more than pearls. Consider that only 20 pearls are found in 35,000 pearly oysters. And out of those 20, only 3 are gem quality. So pearls are indeed precious and valuable. And here it says, a oh godly woman is worth more. Once found, she is of inestimable value. She is priceless. That's how all husbands should view their wives. She is the standard of beauty. She is the standard of of godliness. She is the object of your heart, of your affections. She is your life's treasure. You prize her. You're tender and you're careful. You're gentle because you prize her. Secondly, verses 11 and 12, she is a great blessing to her husband. This kind of woman, according to chapter 19, verse 14, is a gift from God. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. The noble wife's husband is mentioned in this chapter three times. First two times, this husband is spoken of as gaining benefits because of his wife. And the third time is he is there praising her. So he's mentioned three times, the first two times, about how he is, he's the, the chief beneficiary of this godly wife. Therefore, the third time he's mentioned, he is praising her. Right. Therefore, if anyone is encouraging one's wife toward godliness, it should be the husband. Right. If you're a wise husband, you're doing everything you can to promote her follow after godliness and righteousness, to grow in holiness and grow in maturity. Guys, just think about it, right? Husbands, just think. Who benefits the most from a godly wife? It's you. So all the more you should be championing her in her pursuit of Christ. The last thing you want is to hinder her from pursuing Christ because the one most adversely affected would be you as well. There are three added blessings underneath this category. Three added blessings of being married to this godly wife. First is that he can completely trust her. Complete trust. Verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Now you need to understand this in the ancient world. things were a bit different. Women were not looked upon uh, as equals. They were seen sort of uh, second-class uh, citizens. Men often treat their wives as servants. Consequently, there was very little trust given to the wife by the husband. They considered women unworthy of trust. One of the first things that we read in this whole passage is that the husband trusts his wife. This trust is well-founded because she's not a slave to her passions. She's not a slave to her flesh. She's not undiscerning in terms of her life, her finances, her household. She is wise, therefore he can trust her. So more day equivalent might be you go on a business trip, And you don't have to check up on online banking to see if she went on a shopping spree and wasted all the money. You're now worried about her, how she's spending her time. Oh, is she, you know, being lazy and wasting time watching those soap operas? Oh, is the house, you know, are are the kids being fed? You know, are they being taken care of? Are she paying the bills? Right? Did she do what I asked her to do? All the assignments, you're full of worry and anxiety. You're constantly having to check up on her. No. All right, the blessing is, you have a godly wife. Man, she, you can play offense because she's playing defense. So you don't have to worry about defense. You can just focus on playing offense. He can go to work, go away, do whatever he needs to do to serve God. Work hard at his work. Minister to others because he has his great confidence in his wife's integrity and wisdom. Second blessing is that he has a perfectly loyal partner who blesses him for the rest of his life. Verse 12, she does him good and not harm. All the days of his life, all the days, she does him good. She is devoted to the well-being of her husband. I remember um, after we got married, I got term life insurance. And with each additional child, you know, I, I call my insurance broker and I raise my term life insurance. And every time I make this joke, well, I got to watch my back now, right? Because, you know, if I die, Srin, you're set for life. And she's like, yeah, you better watch your back. <laughs> I'm like, what is this I'm eating? It tastes kind of funny, <laughs> right? It's a joke, right? Because I know like, my wife has no desire to harm me, undermine me to ruin me or ruin our family. She's not against me. She's for me. We're on the same team. All right. But if you have a wife that is a slave to her flesh, you can't trust her because she's a slave to her fleshly passions. And fleshly passions are irrational. They're destructive. They're harmful. They're anti-God. But not someone who's married to this noble woman. Third benefit, and I I really like this, and this is so true. Verse 23, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. This is such an important statement. This guy has the respect of the elders of the city. He's probably a younger man, mid-30s, early 40s, but he's respected by men who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Why? Not only that, he's sitting with them. Why? Because of the reputation that she has in the city. And his reputation is undergirded by her life. They see her life. And they respect her. They see her uh, relationships her decisions, just they see her family, her children, and they respect her, but that respect transfers directly to her husband. So he has this standing among other men. He has this good reputation. He has honor, because all the men say, wow, look at that family. Look at the children. Look at their finances. Look at their household. Look at his wife. Look how she respects him. There goes a man worthy of respect, and we know this to be true, right? There are so many men who can conquer the world, yet they go home, and uh, right, they're shell of a man. They're hollow men. They're invisible because they can't be strong against their wife. They're so brave in the world, you know, they'll they'll run through the line and risk their lives, right, for, for their fellow comrades, and yet they come home and they're filled with fear and anxiety and worry because their wife. Because they have no capital, no trust or respect at home. The toughest place to provide leadership, the toughest place to gain and earn and keep respect is at home. It's easy for me to gain respect at cornerstone. It's easy for you to gain respect at work. But it's hard at home because it's home. Our wives see us 24-7. But when a godly man is married to a godly wife, she respects him often, undeservedly, she understands that respect is a command by God, right? Ephesians 5, Respect your husbands, honor him, submit to him in the Lord. Therefore, she respects her husband as to the Lord. Therefore, he has this standing in the community. And so, that's a great blessing for the man. I mean, look at this. It's obvious, even from a cursory reading of Proverbs 31, that she is a smart woman here. This woman is disciplined. She is industrious. She is street savvy. She is an able businesswoman. Right? She considers land and she purchases it. Right? She grows, right? Fruit and she sells it in the open market. She makes transactions of a, of a large amount and she comes out ahead. She is obviously a strong, able woman on top of everything, but she is not the one in authority. She is not wearing the pants of her family. She is not bossing her husband around. She is not destroying her family. She's not undermining him. She's not, make, she's not making him more passive, more invisible. In fact, she's giving him room to lead and giving him confidence. Therefore, he gains respect and the community. Right. This man is respected at the city gate. He's sitting as one of the elders of the land. Right. And that's uh, one of those uh, man rules. If you haven't got that email or note, uh, you know, remind us, we'll send it to you. One of the rules of being a man is that we don't respect other men who do not lead his family. We do not... It's not respectable if you can't lead your wife and you can't lead your children. right? A man who is not leading in the home but being led, a man who is not respected by his own wife is never respected in the world and also even in the church. Right? I, mean, I would think here in Proverbs 31, she is a smarter one. Right? And that's often true. Right, come on, guys. Right? Who's a smarter one? It's a computer application, a game on like, Facebook, right? And it's like, who's got the biggest brain? So you do like, and I'm, it's like a math problems and conceptual things. And like first, my first score was like a Neanderthal. That was the size of my brain. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with this game? That's like, I think right, Eugene has the highest score. <laughs> and I beat Shane the other day and I was really happy. <laughs> but, I mean, if we were to compare my wife's brain size to mine, I mean, Night and day. Most often is the case the wife is more godly, smarter, more disciplined, more diligent. I mean, it's just that's the reality, right? And that's true of the man here in Proverbs 31. Yet she's not here boasting of her own accomplishments in public. She's not competing with her husband for leadership in the household. What does she do? She gives credit and honor to her husband where he is respected in the city, right? So that's the dance. Wives, you excel, right? You excel in what you do. And when somebody asks you, wow, you know, how do you do it? What's the reason for the fruitfulness of your family? And you say, it's because of my husband. Such an able leader. It's a godly man, right? And then the husband, you say, it's because of the gospel. It's because of Christ. It's not me. So first, quality is she is pr- priceless. Second, she is a blessing. Thirdly, she is diligently devoted to her household. Verses 13 through 19. Another way to say this is that she is not lazy. All right. She is not lazy. Verse 13 tells us she's involved in making thread out of wool and flax or linen. There is no place in our life for self-indulgence. No place for laziness. No place for inactivity. She is full of energy and the duties of the home. Whatever the home required, that's what she did. We say often how the world is run by tired men. Nah, that's an overestimation. Overestim- that's a hyperbolic speaking, right? The world is run by tired women, right? Or tired moms. I mean, if we were to count literally the energy and time and hours spent, husband, oh, father and mother, man, mother outpaced us. I, by miles, not even close. This is the moment of God; women win all the more. There is no complaint about this. In fact, she finds joy in her labor. Right? Why? Because she loves the people for whom she does it. It is her love that drives her. She loves her work because she loves her family. She loves God. She loves her husband. Its value is connected to who she does it for. And because of such deep devotion to her husband and her children, she willingly denies herself and takes on one of the most menial of tasks with the greatest amount of pleasure because she understands that they are an outgrowth of her deep love for those people in her family. She is diligent. She is like the merchant ships, verse 14, bringing her food from afar. She brings the choicest of food for her family healthy food for our family. Verse 15 says more about our devotion as a homemaker. She gets up while it is still dark, providing food for her family, portions for her maidens. Her lamp is never out. Right. She is diligent toward her household. She is entrepreneurial as well. Verse 16 again. She considers a field and buys it. All right? She assesses the price, the value of the field. She considers the benefit it would bring to her family. Her husband's busy working. He's playing offense. He doesn't have time for this. It's a major transaction, but she's able. She decides, you know what, this is a good investment. Right, to buy this land at this kind of interest rate, for at this term, with these kind of fees, with these uh, tax considerations... This is a good decision. she thinks it through, she makes calculations, and she makes the purchase a very enterprising lady and her family benefits right? verse twenty four she makes linen garments, sells them, supplies the merchants with sashes. See a godly woman is not a stuffy woman it's not a one dimensional woman she is a multi dimensional dynamic right charismatic able able woman who is exercising her giftedness, her abilities, her knowledge, her talents at home prim- primarily, also in the church, also in the community, and in the world. Fourthly, she is a wise teacher. Wise teacher. Proverbs thirty-one twenty-six. she speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Someone asked G. Campbell Morgan, who had three brothers who were also pastors, who was the greatest preacher in their family. I have four preachers in one family. Who's the greatest preacher? And he said, our mother. She taught us the Bible. She taught us the Word of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I cannot tell you how much I owe the solemn word of my Good mother. E.W. Caswell said the mother more than any other affects the moral and spiritual part of the children's character. She is their constant companion and teacher in formative years. The child is ever imitating and assimilating the mother's nature. It is only in afterlife that men gaze backward and behold how a mother's hand and heart of love molded their young lives and shaped their destiny. So it's so important for moms to be biblically informed, that they are theologically sound, that their theology, their doctrine, their hermeneutical, the art and science of hermeneutics is, is biblical, is consistent. It's so important that they have a, a good paradigm of Scripture and how to see the world through the filter of the Word of God. So important because they're teaching children, influencing husbands. So I implore you, women. I I'm, there, I, I'm all for you know books by women for four women. Those women books, they're great. They're, there's a lot of benefit to be gained. But some of them are just it's a lot of stories and practical like applications. I would exhort you every second or third or fourth book, take out a volume of of rich theology, of, of biblical exposition, of healthy sound doctrine, and immerse your mind and challenge your heart with deep truths. Because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak, and your children are listening to every single word that proceeds out of your mouth. And the final characteristic of this godly woman is that she receives praise from her own family, community, and from the Lord. She receives praise. Verse 28, her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, many women have done nobly, but you excel them all. And here is the reward, her real satisfaction. Her reward comes from the people she loves the most. She doesn't have a retirement fund. She doesn't get two paid vacations a year. She doesn't get all the perks of a career life. But she gets what she is most valuable, most satisfying, most desirous. Her children rise up and they bless her and praise her. They reverence her. They literally honor her. They hold her, and this is honesty. It's not just words. I mean, you know, like, people say things and they don't really mean it all the time. Right? But not here. The true godly women are children with sincerity in their hearts. They rise up and they hold her in high esteem and they reverence her. And even her husband, because she has said her. She has set aside her own comfort. Because she has sacrificed for him and for his family, for his children, she receives from him the supreme blessing. And that's how it ought to be and that will just grow. As she becomes older, as her children grow, they will appreciate her more and more and more. And her husband will appreciate her and bless her more and more and more. And once her children have children, that... Appreciation will grow more and more and more and be passed down to the grandchildren. Well, they'll bless their grandmother because of what they, what she gave to their mom. They will all say, many women have done nobly, but you surpassed them all. Right. And throughout her children's life, she'll be constantly before their eyes. She'll be constantly before their eyes her tender guidance, her wise counsel, her loving discipline, her holy example, her hard work, her unselfish giving, all of these things will never cease to fill the memories of her children. And so as they begin their own lives and raise their own families, their own children, they'll always remember their mom. And they'll pass down the wisdom of her lips and her life to the next generation Let me tell you, no woman in the workplace can have this kind of influence. Jane Swift, former governor of Massachusetts, she dropped out of her state's gubernatorial race several years ago. She was asked why. It's because she had given birth to twins while she was in office. She also had a three-year-old. She said between parenting and campaigning, I choose parenting. More important than being a governor of a state. Patty Stonecipher, Microsoft's top female executive, quit all, quit her all absorbing career in 1997 to spend more time with her children. President Bush's most trusted confidant, Karen Hughes, described by some years past as the most powerful woman in government. She's leaving her She left her influential White House post because of her commitment to her own family. Mrs. Mary Frances Winters, columnist for USA Today, wrote this a few years ago. As I watched my daughter walk across the stage this month to receive her degree in engineering from Georgia Tech, I could not help but think how quickly the time had gone and how much of her growing up I missed because I was so busy launching and managing my small business She asked herself, asked her readers, can we have it all? We should consider, do we need it all? Or do our wants exceed our needs? And she says, I know that mine did. And she wrote this, If there is one thing that I regret in my life, it is that I did not make family the most important priority during my children's early years. But as Hughes and others who have given it all have taught us right, of the importance of the family, cannot be discounted. The godly wife leaves a lasting legacy of praise. Generations remember her and esteem her because of her devotion to God and family. And the conclusion of it all is found in verse 30. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So Lemuel's mother told Solomon, find a woman who fears the Lord and you have found a good thing. You have found the epitome of wisdom who will guide, help you, serve you, and do good to you all the days of your life. May you have um, such a day worshiping God, thanking God for, for your mom and honoring her as befitting in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, if you were to have read this as without saving faith, without the gospel having saved us, it would have been a cruel sermon teasing us of this godly life, that uh, so satisfying, so attractive and beautiful, but we are helpless to uh, possess it. It would be a cruel joke where we are left to this empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers, languishing in sin and perpetuating this sinfulness. The next generation and our our lives are just wasted, mired and 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 fleeting pursuits, vain pursuits. But God, our hearts are lifted because we are no longer in darkness. We have been made children of light. You have set our hearts free. You have liberated us from the chains, the bondage of sin. You have opened our eyes. And you give us these instructions because He who saved us saved us from sin spiritually, but also practically. You gave us these commands because we are not able. We are free to obey them if we so choose. Lord, what is lacking is discipline and diligence on our part. What is lacking is courage and resolve in our minds and in our souls. Oh God, would you uh, set aside the cobwebs in our minds and help us to think clearly. Help us to think soberly and consider We just have one life. And consider that we're a mist that appears for a little while. And that you, God of all creation, is waiting for us at the end of our lives. And you will ask us, you will call us to account how we lived our lives while we're here. Knowing that we must give an account to you. Help us in full sobriety to live our lives backwards. And to consider what the Bible teaches us today in light of who we are, in light of our roles and our responsibilities, and help us, O oh Lord, with ah, without hindrance, to put ourselves to this task, knowing that you're the grace that saved us will sustain us and continue with us to the end. We thank you. Uh, pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.